0: Wouldn't it be great if Christians could talk about the Bible and various issues without fighting or arguing or name-calling? Imagine if we could just sit down, have a cup of coffee, discuss, and even if we disagree, treat each other with respect. That's what this podcast is all about, kind, loving Christian conversations. It's not a sermon or a Bible class. It's just followers of Jesus talking about life and faith. I hope this show encourages you to have conversations like this with people in your life. I'm Wes McAdams, and I want to welcome you to the Crosstalk Podcast. Today I want to invite you to listen to a conversation that I had with my new friend, Dean Meadows from The Daily Apologist. He's incredibly passionate about helping young Christians defend their faith. Maybe you're someone who's struggling with your faith. Maybe you've struggled in the past, or maybe you know of someone who's struggling. Whatever the case may be, I know you will find this conversation to be encouraging and helpful. I think you know we throw around terms a lot, you know, preachers and ministers throw around terms and sometimes I don't know how much those terms resonate with people or even if they know exactly what we mean when we say those. So apologetics might be one of those words that some people may not be super familiar with what what are Christian apologetics or what does that word apologetics refer to? So if you had to define Christian apologetics, how would you define that?
1: Yeah. So the technical answer is it comes from the Greek word apologia, which means to make a defense. I put it in layman's terms as having the ability to demonstrate why you believe what you believe, um, to to make a defense of any position. And, and the interesting thing about you know this word is that we all do it. I mean, if you've ever turned on any sports debate program, what happens? You have two guys on each side. One guy think has this opinion, the other guy has another opinion. What do they do? They defend their position. They're making a defense for their position. So when we talk about Christian apologetics, it's simply defending the Christian worldview in, in that it's true and that it corresponds to the way the world is.
0: You know, and when I hear that, and, and I, I'm afraid, you know, when people hear that, I think there's two, maybe two opposite extremes. Like one extreme would be like no apologetic whatsoever that just says, well, I believe what I believe because that's what I believe, or I believe what I believe because that's what my parents told me and I've never really questioned it, you know, so that might be like one extreme. And then I think the other extreme would be, you know, maybe when we say debate, Um, I think that people get this picture maybe of red-faced, you know, just angry and, you know, that kind of debate. And so, uh, but I don't think that either one of those, you know, I mean, obviously we, we wouldn't be in the camp of, you know, no apologetics. We're talking about debating or making a defense for what we believe. But at the same time, and I think you would agree with this, that you don't you don't have to be angry and you don't have to be upset and it doesn't have to be a fight in order to, in order to express what we believe is true and why we believe those things are true. In fact, if it does get to the point where it's angry and it's fighting and um, yelling and screaming and that kind of thing, then it really isn't a good apologetic. It's not helping to make a defense for what is true.
1: No, I agree and I think it's a, a good point that you make there that you do have these two extremes. Um, one side that says, well, we don't need to necessarily engage the intellectual side of, of faith because, you know, I've believed this my whole life or, you know, I have this deep rooted, deep seated feeling that's in my heart and, you know, there's nothing that somebody could present that would, you know, move me off of Christianity. That certainly is one extreme. And then the other extreme, like you said, is this kind of, you know, rage face, you know, yelling and pointing, and this, that, and the other, and, I, and the, the kind of mantra that that we have uh, at the Daily Apologist, and that I've you know taken up just out of uh, personal experience and learning the hard way, is really a, a Acts seventeen approach, where Paul's um, in Athens and he surveys the landscape. He sees that there are these idols, you know, he gets called really bad names. He gets called a babbler. He's the one that's accused of worshiping foreign divinities and they take him over the Areopagus and, and Paul lays out the case for um, for the existence of God and for the resurrection of, of Jesus. And he doesn't do it um, by necessarily giving them both barrels. He meets those people where they are. So that he can make the case for the gospel so that the gospel can change who they are. And that's really the my I think that's combining both of those that's combining the head and the heart. And if we're going to be effective in the culture um, as Christians, you know, we just need to model Acts 17 as much as possible.
0: Yeah, I love that. That's awesome. I I know this is your passion, Dean. I know that that you love this um, this field. And so, what I'm curious, what got you interested in apologetics in the first place?
1: Yeah. So, I um I I, I grew up going to church. Uh, I grew up uh, in the Methodist church initially, and then my friend uh, converted me out of that uh, into uh, you know what I believe to be you know, the New Testament example of Christianity. And so uh, about my junior, senior year, I really got nervous about what I believed that, because I asked myself the question, am I just, you know, following this, you know, the same way that I followed, you know, uh, Methodism uh, or was in the Methodist church? Am I, you know, in that same boat? So that got me curious, but then I was sidetracked from those deep questions, because I joined the Marine Corps, and then when I went uh, overseas in 2006 with uh, Hotel Battery 314 to Fallujah, Iraq, um, it's it's funny what war will do to you. War will bring up those deep questions about purpose and meaning and life, you know, all in an instance. And so I uh, I started having those questions again, and so I I told myself that you know if I got out of Iraq, I would come back home and, and I would really start to study those questions. And so I got back home. I picked up uh, Richard Dawkins' God Delusion. I pick up Christopher Hitchens' book, uh, God is Not Great. I pick up Sam Harris's book, The End of Faith. Um, and I just started reading those. And at the time I was like, man, these guys seem to be really super convincing and in my freshman year of of college, uh, you know, the, the professors kind of maybe not as strictly or as uh, fiery as those guys, but they reinforced the things that those guys were talking about. So I said, man, I got to find out what's true here. And so for the next um, uh, couple semesters, I just dug you know, I, I really, uh, to be honest with you in the audience, I really didn't pay too much attention to class. And I just was so obsessed with these answers, uh, was trying to find these answers that I just ignored college pretty much for a whole year and looked for those answers. And then um, I, I found the answers on the Christian side from guys like William Lane Craig. Um, at the time, Frank Turk, Lee Strobel was a good introduction for me. Um, I found those answers to be satisfactory uh, and very well thought through. And so that kind of grounded me in the Christian camp. And then the next real thing that took place in my life that got me even more interested was um, I was actually uh, in my MA degree in apologetics at Biola and I got a phone call from a young lady named Kaylee Clary and Kaylee I've known her, I knew her for like 10 years or so and watched her grow up. She was like a little sister to me. She went off to UNC Chapel Hill and she took a class with Bart Ehrman called Jesus in Film. But she ended up telling me that, hey, this isn't like watching a bunch of Jesus movies and, you know, kind of, you know, um, summarizing how Hollywood views Jesus. This is uh, Bart Ehrman kind of displaying his you know, bias towards, uh, Jesus in a negative light towards the Bible in a negative light and really just running through his misquoting Jesus who changed the Bible and why and all that stuff. And so at that point I was just like, man, this is, this is wild. So, you know, for the rest of the time of that first semester she had, we, we had a phone call every single day and we looked at all of the things that he talked about. Um, the majority of the answers I knew some of the answers I didn't know, so I did more research on that. And so at the end of that, of that, uh, that deal, that whole situation. I mean, she remained faithful, thank God. Mm-hmm. Um, but I came to the conclusion that not everybody has a resource like Kaylee had a resource. Not that I'm great or special, but but most college kids and most high school kids don't have that resource in the churches that they go to. Um, parents aren't prepared. Teens aren't prepared. Church workers, ministers aren't prepared. And so that's kind of why I'm also interested. And, and, and the third reason is I now have two daughters, one's that one's three and one's one, and I don't want to be the dad that, that doesn't have the answer to these difficult questions.
0: Wow. I mean, and I'm so thankful for your journey because I, I think that the those in this field that are the most effective at helping others to navigate those challenging times in our life where our faith is is challenged um, are those that have been through it themselves. So you went through that. and I know that's a that's an incredibly scary time uh, in a person's life when you're trying to figure out what's what's true. Am I banking on something that's that's false? you know and when you read, you know, those agnostic and atheist type, uh, materials, uh, it can be scary. And I'm so thankful that you navigated your way through that and that the Lord helped you come through that. But now on this side, the strength that you have to help and share with others, um, is incredibly, uh, obviously was incredibly helpful for Kaylee, but, uh, but for all of us. So, um, I'm so glad what God has done and is continuing to do in your life, brother. Um, I appreciate that. You know, I, I think when we think about apologetics, uh, at least when I think about apologetics, I typically think that we, we tend to focus on the creation evolution debate, the young earth versus old earth debate, um, those sorts of natural sciences. Um, and, and certainly there's, that's a big field or a big part, a big section of apologetics, I would assume. But from the conversations that you and I have had, Dean, uh, it sounds like you're sort of going in a different direction and that you're looking at apologetics from a slightly different angle. So uh, any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, certainly the conversations about how old the earth is, questions about evolution and questions about you know the existence of dinosaurs and humans. That's a conversation that that we need to have um, and that, that has been had and I think will always Uh, will always be had, but at the same time, that can't be the one area that we as Christians hyper-focus on, Mm -hmm. Um, because those, from what the stats say, from Barna just released a survey about Generation Z, and the number one question that Generation Z asks when it comes to things like faith is if God is all loving and God is all powerful, then why is there evil pain and suffering? So you have these teens that are growing up and they're going to college. And while the conversation, as I said before, about young earth, old earth, dinosaurs, evolution, while that's a conversation that needs to be had, I want to stress that to the honest, it needs to be had. That's not the primary focus of where teens are today. And, and also when they get to college, those subjects are not going to, necessarily be brought up initially for discussion or debate because in the academic world, in the academic setting, um, those are topics that are just not mentioned because they're not necessarily right, wrong, or indifferent. They're just not necessarily seen as relevant in the academic world. Um, but once again, we need to have that conversation, but we also need to make sure that our apologetics, um, is meeting the teen where the teen is. We can't expect to retain the teen or reach the teen by focusing on something that they aren't necessarily interested in. It's not like on their top three list of, all right, this is what's, you know, either keeping me from a relationship with God, or this is what's keeping me from growing a deeper relationship with God. And so um, our primary focus, my primary focus and, the focus of the Daily Apologist is more along the lines of the historical case for Christianity and the philosophical case for Christianity. So that's things like problem of evil, does God exist, the historical reliability of the Gospels, the historical, uh, the historicity of the resurrection, and and really more along the lines also of flooding social media, maximizing social media because 71% of teens today operate at least two social media platforms. And so that's kind of our focus. That's where we are. That's kind of our niche. And the other reason, you know, for that, and I want to give credit where credit's due, is because Apology Express has done such a great job in the earth science department. They have done such a good job in answering those difficult questions about, you know, young earth, old earth, evolution, dinosaurs and humans that it just wouldn't make sense for us and it wouldn't make sense for me to try and build a sandcastle next to a sandcastle that's been built and's laid such a good foundation for the last 30 years.
0: Yeah, for sure. You know, I I think that a lot of parents probably are teaching their kids or maybe did teach their kids uh, about creation and, you know, help them to say, you know, this is what some people might tell you in school, you know, about, you know, the age of the earth or about, you know, how life came to be or whatever the case may be and sort of equip them to deal with those sorts of issues. And maybe they used Apologetics Press material or, you know, other good resources and materials out there, uh, but, but have sort of left their kids uh, defenseless in these philosophical types of discussions. So, what kind of things? I mean, give us some real. I mean, you mentioned uh, the the problem of pain and suffering, and if there's a loving God, how come these things exist? What are some things that young people might hear? And I don't want to. I don't want to paint you know all college professors as bad yeah. or you. Know, how to destroy kids' faith, but I mean, uh, the college years are so tumultuous anyway uh, because you're trying to figure out. Even if there wasn't this struggle with faith and these kind of things, you're trying to figure out who you are as an individual. You know, what do you want to do with the rest of your life? So there's all kinds of formative questions that are going on and and things that you're struggling with at that particular point in your life. And then to add that on, that we live in this culture of where we do have some professors and some, you know, uh, institutions that that do seem bent on um, what they would feel like is dispelling the myths, you know, about religion and God in, in young people's minds. So, what are some, what are the types of things that that young people might hear in a classroom or on a college campus that might cause them to struggle with their faith if they don't have the the right types of apologetic resources to help them defend against that?
1: Yeah, man, what a what a great uh, great question. We could probably do three episodes just on that question alone. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, so one of the primary things that they are going to hear, specifically with regards to the Bible, is that um, the Gospels are not reliable history. That's probably the num the number one thing they'll hear uh, on a college campus is the attack on. On the Bible that um, that they were just written. One of the things we hear all the time is that well they were just written you know too long after the life of Jesus and that that myth and legend could have could have crept in. They'll hear that and you know a quick response to that would be it's just to to say all right. And one of the things that we want to do is we once again we want to meet people where they are. So if the person on the other end who's saying that is saying something to that effect, the response would be okay. Well. I'm not appealing to divine inspiration, even though I think it is. Right. Uh, I, I'm, and so I'm not going to appeal to inerrancy, even though I think that it is inerrant. So let's just look at these as as works of antiquity uh, that are seeking to display history. What are the markers uh, of that? Luke says, "Hey, I've carefully plotted this out uh, so that Theophilus, so that you know Theophilus might be certain." As to what he was taught, Uh, Peter says in um, you know in in, I think it's is it Second Peter I think it's Second Peter uh, that they weren't uh, beholden to you know clever uh, schemes of man, but they were eyewitnesses of it. John in First John says that he heard it, he saw it, you know, he touched it. So all of these authors, number one, are saying, um, "Hey, we're seeking to convey truth." But even from the dating west of the Gospels, um, we know that what makes really good historical documentation is documentation that is nearest the events that occurred, right? right. Sometimes right. what people will say is, well, you can't trust that it was written 2,000 years ago, but but that's not the point. The The gap is not between when the document was written and now. The gap that we're concerned with is when the document was, was recorded written, and when the event that it was recording took place. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure.
1: Okay. And so you have between 30 and 60 years between the ministry of Jesus and the four Gospels. Now, you compare that with something like Alexander the Great. The first biographies of Alexander the Great don't come until 400 years after he died, and they quote them all the time in world history. I don't, right. I don't necessarily hear of any Alexander the Great uh, skeptics out there. And so, if the standard for Alex the Great is okay, and we're going to look at that as historical, then why wouldn't we look at his as history? Uh, the four gospels that were written between thirty and sixty years of Jesus' life, death, and crucifixion. So that's that's one thing that they'll hear. Uh, the second thing they'll he- they'll they'll hear. Is that that God just doesn't exist? There's not enough evidence for God, and really, that's where the the philosophy side of apologetics comes into play, where they should have the resources of understanding, you know, the argument from uh, the design of the universe, you know, the argument from the origin of the universe. The moral argument is a really good one; it resonates best with college kids, things like that. So, those are primarily the two the two big ones on a college campus that you can't really believe in God, there's not enough evidence, and two, how can you believe the Gospels? They were written so far after uh, Jesus's life, and they're good, good answers to those questions.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I feel like if young people understand that they're there is an answer to these these problems that are posed. Um, it doesn't mean, and, and I like the way that you said that when you were wrestling w- with these things and you read certain books that you found their answers satisfactory. And I think that, that that's what we have to be, you know, we have to understand that that it is going to be a challenge and it is going to be a wrestling and it is going to be a matter of weighing the evidence on both sides um, and, and coming up with things that, are satisfactory answers. Um, we may not we may not know 100 percent sure on you know whatever the case may be. Um, but but man, there are some really satisfactory answers. And I, I think that when a young person hears uh, a professor that they that they admire. I mean, these guys are, are brilliant, you know, and, and they've spent a lot of time and energy and they've got a lot of letters after their name and, you know, and, and, and they're brilliant. And, you know, sometimes they're charismatic and the young people really admire them and look up to them. And when they say, listen, you're foolish and ignorant for believing these things. Um, I remember I had a community college professor. He wasn't too brilliant, but, but, you know, I mean, <laughs> but we did like him, you know? Um, and, and I could, I I'll never forget just how confident he was, uh, how dogmatic he was about how foolish it was to put any stock in scripture whatsoever. Um, And and the things that he threw out just sort of off the top of his head, his argument was about the two creation accounts in Genesis. So he said, hey, listen, they couldn't even figure out which one was right and which one was wrong. So they put both of them in. Uh, And I never even heard anything like that before. And he throws this out at me. And I thought, well, I mean, he just seems so confident about it that you you wonder: is there an adequate answer to these things? Um, and if somebody doesn't have a person in their corner or a, an organization in their corner or resources uh, that they can look at and, and ask those questions of, you know, so so to go to and say, you know, hey, my professor said this. You know, what what do I do with that or or whatever? Um, you know they then they have to wrestle through it alone and that's a scary scary thing uh, but there are all of these things that have been brought up all the things brought up in all of these classes or or brought up by all of these atheists and agnostics um there are christians like dean you know and like others that have already thought through these things and there's there's really good answers to all the stuff that they're bringing up
1: now i i uh, i couldn't agree couldn't agree more with, with what you're talking about. You know, we, we have to be able to prepare young people so that when they get to college, they're not bombarded. And the other place that they're going to be bombarded on is, is social media even before they get to the college campus. And that's, that's kind of what, you know, as, as we move in, or as we're already in a, I believe a post Christian society, but as that gets steeper and steeper. I just want to encourage uh, parents um, that, that yes, there are obviously dangers to social media, and we recognize those. But at the same time, um, we need to utilize social media to equip and engage um, Christians and their teens and and the culture. But I, I, I think that that's one piece to it, what you've talked about with you know, the campus and the things that are going to take place on campus and the other piece to that will be uh, social media as well.
0: You know, and speaking of social media, I know that at one time and I wonder if this is still a thing, but um, I know at one time there was a lot of talk about like deconversion stories that people were sharing, you know, how they had quote lost their faith. Um, and it sort of had a ripple effect. So somebody would get on YouTube or they would get on social media or whatever, and they would share their story of how they lost their faith. And of course, that would sort of start a domino effect uh, with other young people and saying, oh, well, maybe I shouldn't believe either. And, you know, it would, it would have sort of a ripple effect. In fact, I heard a study one time uh, that talked about why most people, young people that had lost their faith, that had sort of deconverted or whatever you want to say, um, and and what had convinced them of that. It wasn't even books that they had read. Um, it wasn't that they read Dawkins or it wasn't read that they read Hitching. I mean they 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 were watching YouTube videos um, and it was it was YouTube uh, that that it was people on YouTube uh, that had convinced them that having faith in the Lord was wrong. Um, but I, I couldn't agree more that um, we have to answer those things and we have to be present on whatever platforms, Um, that the other side is presenting. I mean, if if you have atheists and agnostics using YouTube or using other social media platforms to present one side of, of this argument, then we certainly need to be present on those same platforms to present the other side.
1: No, we, we have to be. Um, It just, just from, as a person who is on social media, as someone who, you know, is on, you know, Facebook and some of the streaming services online that, that are offered. It just. It. May, I don't even know the stat, but it just seems like for every four atheist YouTube channels, there's one. You know, uh, one channel that will profess, you know, theistic apologetics, mm-hmm. um, or Christian apologetics, and uh, we we just have to do a better job. We have to start. Uh, catching up and making inroads that way because the number one the number one search engine in the world is no longer Google it's YouTube I yeah. mean teenagers don't don't watch TV anymore they watch YouTube and um, I I know of people who have have had these deconversion stories uh, and have posted them to YouTube so that they might, influence other people and they have influenced uh, other people and so you're absolutely right um, we, we've got to get on the ball uh, with that not just you know individually but collectively uh, as the lord's church we have to do a better job
0: And I think that's a great place to segue to talk about The Daily Apologist because that's, you've mentioned it a couple of times, but tell us what The Daily Apologist is and what you guys are doing and and what you hope to do in the future.
1: Gotcha. So we're a group of uh, nine guys uh, who who over the course of the last uh, six to eight months have decided that we're going to go ahead and we're going to meet young people on the platforms that they use so that they might, know the gospel. And basically what we do is we utilize Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, um, and we're soon going to be utilizing YouTube. We have some stuff up on YouTube already so that we can start to infiltrate and maximize social media to deliver uh, Christian apologetic content uh, to kind of st- start the, the course of stemming the tide within the church of the amount of young people that we are losing we're losing young people at a uh, cyclical rate in the church and so we just want to help stop that and one way that we do that is by putting out apologetics content through social media platforms that young people use but the other thing that we are are doing and that we're in the process of developing and starting going to start to deliver hopefully next year is a online self-paced training um, website so that you have all types of different topics and you have videos with those topics and workbooks, downloadable workbooks with those topics. And if you're going to teach the class, we're going to provide you know the PowerPoint for that as well so that if Wes, and I'll just use you as the guinea pig, how's that sound? Uh, Sounds good. (laughs) So if Wes wants to teach apologetics and he knows that he's going to be teaching apologetics in three quarters, then... Wes can go on to the website that we're going to develop. He'll click uh, on the Introduction to Apologetics course, which I'm going to shoot actually in July. And he can go as fast or as slow as he wants to with that course. We're not going to bind anybody to a specific timetable of like 13 or 16 weeks because if life happens and you miss a couple weeks, then people are more apt to quit and we don't want people to quit. And so he finishes that he does the workbook. He has the videos in his account. He has access to that for as long as he wants. And then he's got the the notes for the class. And he's also got the slides for the class that he can teach to class so that he can continue doing his ministerial work without having to do as like I like uh, you've probably heard before. He doesn't have to sit down and do the Saturday night special for the Sunday morning class. <laughs> uh, and that's the way that we want to train Church workers, that's the way that we want to train parents to reach their teens. And we just want to make a whole library of classes. I mean, we're talking hundreds and hundreds of classes, you know, into the future uh, that will better be able to equip parents, church workers, and even young people. We're going to have classes for young people that they can watch those videos and do those workbooks at their pace so that uh, they're not surprised when uh, college time comes or when that tough conversation comes with somebody in high school that they have those answers because what we've traditionally done, not that seminars are bad. I like seminars. I think seminars are really good ways to introduce people to apologetics, but we just don't know that they're the best way to train people in apologetics because there's a difference between uh, teaching someone and training someone, and we want to train people, not just teach them.
0: I think that's awesome. I'm I'm so excited about what you guys are doing and and what you will do in the future. And I, I want to end with maybe just and I know I'm throwing this at you, you know, but I want to end with something maybe practical. Um, so if somebody has, let's say, somebody has a teenager, um, and, and maybe they don't even know, you know, sort of how equipped and how prepared uh, their young person is uh, to deal with some of this, or maybe where they are um, in in this uh, in this whole conversation. Um, you know, I, I think that that sometimes we don't have the conversations that we need to have, and you know, ask our young people where they are on these kind of things. Do you have any sort of ideas or suggestions on on how somebody can start that conversation with their young person uh, to just kind of figure out if they've if they've heard these arguments or if they're if they're struggling with them, or even maybe they haven't heard the arguments, but but they. Uh, they need to be equipped for when they do hear those arguments. So, any ideas or suggestions on what parents might um, might do to start these conversations with young kids, or, or probably not young kids, but teenagers, or, or even college students? Yeah, absolutely.
1: I would I would just pay attention. The biggest gift for apologetics that has been given to parents is Marvel
0: <laughs>
1: uh, and the Marvel movies. Um, I mean, just think about for those of you who have seen infinity war and have seen in game, huge box office smashes, teens and and college kids run to go see those movies. There's nothing wrong with asking your teen. If you want to go see the movie or asking your college kid, Hey, have you seen the movie? And when they say yes, and you watch the movie or they've seen the movie, just ask them a question. Just ask them. You don't have to go through and give them the syllogism of the moral argument. Just ask the question. So, you know why do you think that Thanos was wrong,
0: hmm.
1: right? What about what Thanos? What about what Thanos was seeking to accomplish? And I don't want to give away any spoilers. Mm-hmm. What about what he was seeking to accomplish was morally wrong, and and why were the Avengers morally right? Why weren't the Avengers morally wrong? What? Why? Why weren't they the bad guys and Thanos the good guy? I think those are good questions uh, that you can work the moral argument into without your teen or college kid saying, Oh goodness, here goes mom and dad with the syllogism again. Right. But you're talking about something that's irrelevant to them that has a moral arc uh, and a, and a story behind it that they're already engaged in. And that's a really good conversation to have because the way in which they're going to answer that question will give you an insight to whether or not they've really thought about the moral implications Of not just Thanos, but of the way that the world works. Um, And we'll give you an implication about, you know, do do they think that morality is this subjective, relative thing, or is it this objective, independent of people, whether we like it or not, believe it or not, or know it or not type of thing? And from there, you can probably guess the route that your young teen, that your teen or your college kid is with regards to their views on morality. So I think that's just one example. Uh, another thing would be, uh, it's okay to stop a show and pause a show and simply just be ask a question. Okay, well, well what do you think uh, about what's going on here so far? What, what's, what's your opinion of this character? What's your opinion of that character? And what's your opinion of this scenario and this scene that has played out? Or what do you think is about to play out? right? Those are good conversations to have because once again, it gives you an insight to where that person is. No, there's no better time to have a conversation about the existence of God while watching a show with your kids in which the main character is questioning the existence of God. Yeah. That's uh, good, that's, brother. That That's very rich. Yeah. And that way we can be on the forefront of what's going on and not, we can be proactive rather than reactive. And, and real quick, I know we're, getting close to, to time here, but the the most heartbreaking thing that I experience as both a minister and as an apologist is after we go and we do a seminar or after we go and we just simply talk to people, they say, man, I need something really quick that's going to turn my kid around because they came back from college and they're an atheist now. And I have to look into a parent's eyes and I have to tell them, listen, it took them their, their Adolescent years and their college years to get to this point, it's going to take more than just one book to turn them away from where they are. And so that's because the parent is seeking now to be reactive rather than being proactive.
0: Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, I want to share with you two ways that you can help support what we're trying to do. The first is by rating and reviewing the podcast on iTunes or wherever you find your podcast to help others discover the show. The second way you can help is by checking out Logos Bible software. Logos has partnered with us to give our listeners a great discount. So go to radicallychristian.com slash Logos, L-O-G-O-S. I think you'll love the software and you'll get a great discount by using that link. As always, I love you, God loves you, and I hope you have a wonderful day.